Well, yeah, amen. Thank you, Judd and team. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, glad that you're here. And if this is your first time, as Jim, or actually Judd said earlier, this service, we'd love to have you fill out that little card. And if you haven't put it in the plate since it's gone, um, give it to me at the close of the service. We'd love to know that you're here um, with us. You know, as I was worshiping, um, is that Shirley up there? I think it is. I have I, I sense the Lord telling me something for you. Could I share it with you? It's a public word, so you can just stand up and receive it if you will. You know, as we were singing that last song, the Lord said, no, I want you to speak this. You know, there's been some, uh, let's see. He said there's been some fear you're walking in. And, and I say that because I can say we all have it and have walked in it. Um, and sort of the fear is that kind of you're replicating some old stuff. And the Lord said, no, you're not going to replicate the old stuff. God's new and he's making everything new. And that includes your family. That includes how he's going to use you in the future. Uh, he said, you are gifted and talented and anointed by his spirit. And what he's begun in your life, he's going to complete. It's going to be a great work of grace that you're going to see a tapestry that you could never weave. is by his ability. Uh, so just receive that. Let's get some folks around uh, Shirley and pray for her. Those of you who are who are up there. Thank you, Pat, and some others, Dan, maybe. Uh, Father, I just want to thank you for uh, Shirley and for this woman of God that she is. And Lord, I pray that out of your riches in glory, God, that you would pour forth uh, into and then through her life the magnificent sweet aroma of your presence. God, let the anointing that breaks the yoke be seen in her and through her. And God, it, let her know that it is by the working of your power and not her own. Lord, let your blessings drip. Yeah, just drip uh, on her and then off of her into the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I always, <laughs> I'm real excited of squeamish for doing that, you know, because, wow, that's kind of heavy duty when you say something publicly. Uh, but God is good. Um, let me say uh, before I actually turn to the word with you that um, next week is what will be our public power camp uh, sort of display. And what I mean by that is the power camp team, uh, Judd and company and some others will be sharing next week. And uh, what they're going to be sharing is how we believe God has given us um, a number of strategic outreaches, one of which is power camp. And uh, what we asked last week, if you were here, is that you would begin to identify one child in your neighborhood who then belongs to a family in your neighborhood and begin to pray for them, the child and the parents. And then uh, as you're able over the next week or two, give them some information and invite them to bring that child to power camp. And it's not because we need warm bodies. It's because God wants to enlarge his family. And uh, you get to participate in that. So if you would, begin to pray. We'll give you more information next week and share the love of Jesus with uh, one child and then one family just as you um, sort of go forward as we move through the summer. Uh, so, well, um, let me share this morning uh, a just a, a shortened uh, concept or ideas uh, before we make our way to the communion table. And if you saw the marquee coming in, freedom from sin, uh, probably there were many of you who have said, you know, how in the world 
uh, would that ever happen? It's a dream on one hand. Could I ever be freed from sin? And um, this morning, it's my intent to show uh, some of how God begins to release us from uh, the power of sin in our life. And uh, if you were here um, last week, I'll begin by looking at, at something there. But let's just begin John chapter 6, verse 29. Uh, Jesus was asked uh, by some who were kind of professional religious folks, what must I do to do the work of God? Now, if you'll think about that question for a moment, you'll notice what must we do to do the work? Uh, men, women, human beings always tend to um, interpret uh, God and their relationship based upon what we do. And hence the question. But Jesus' response was, the work of God is that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Can you say that word believe with me? Believe. Now here's what I've somewhat discerned. Maybe rightly, maybe not totally accurately. But what I believe is that um, the church doesn't believe very much in believing. <laughs> now that, how would that ever happen? The church at large, generally speaking, doesn't really believe very much in believing. What we believe in is doing. And hence the question that Jesus was asked, what shall we do? Now, if you ever ask anybody, how can you get right with God? You often hear that, well, I do these things. Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning, this notion of being right with God. And if you were here last week, um, I shared, two weeks ago, actually, I shared fairly exhaustively on this notion that right now, uh, people can be righteous by faith. Now, the just shall live by faith. The word just is the same word as righteous in the Greek. And God has arranged so that the gospel, the good news of Jesus can come and we can access it, not by what we do, but by faith in Jesus. So that everything in the Christian life becomes uh, revolving around or is, is focused in the person of Jesus. So we looked at the concept of we are righteous by faith. Uh, that is not to say that God disapproves of our reforming our life, uh, stopping certain things, or adding certain practices to our life, uh, and yet by stopping certain things or adding certain things will never make you righteous. Did I just overstate something? Because we're not righteous by what we do. How be it good? Or how be it bad? The gospel is that we are righteous by faith in a person and what he did, his work. So we looked at this righteousness by faith. And then last week, um, if we are in fact gifted and made righteous by God, the, the righteousness of Jesus having been credited to my account so that the Father now sees me as righteous, we took a little journey through the Gospel of John and we looked at about eight or nine different texts that says that we are now free from judgment because we are righteous by faith. That's really good news. 
And see, we're beginning to access the strength and the power of the gospel because that's where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who works hard. No, for everyone who believes, uh, because the just shall live by faith. The clarion call of Martin Luther and others in the Reformation is by grace alone. So we looked at the judgment of God is passed because we are righteous by faith. And then uh, this week, actually, what I want to begin by sharing as we move to the table this morning is that what you believe actually will determine what you do. What you believe will actually dictate how you live your life. Now, let me give you another little phrase here. We can momentarily rise above or we can momentarily sink below the level of what we believe in our heart for a season. But you always do what you really believe. Now, you always return to that thing of what you really believe in your heart. You can add certain practices and you can stop certain practices, but what you actually believe is what you actually will do. And therefore, life is really the product of what you believe, not what you do. Now, it is true that what you do can give some indication to what you really believe, but it's important that we understand that it's belief in what God said he would do, believing in his son that makes a person uh, righteous and passes, moves judgment from us. So life is a product of really what you believe. Now, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was accused on multiple um, occasions of actually uh, dismissing or removing this this um, this external sort of restraint called the law, and he was he was accused numerous times of of removing these external constraints or this restraint of the law. And the notion was, if you get rid of the law, Paul, you will really give people license to sin. And what Paul said about that is seen in a number of places, but one is Romans chapter 6, verse 1, where Paul said, okay, since we're no longer under the law and we're now under grace, um, shall we continue to sin in order that grace may abound? Now, Paul just got finished saying that um, uh, that it's by faith that a person is made righteous, um, that uh, the just shall be should live by faith. And in Romans 6, 1, he says, shall we then continue to sin in order that grace may abound? Now, here's here's what I want you to see. Secondly, if, in fact, and we believe that we are righteous by faith. And secondly, if we believe that judgment is really removed from us, and that's what the word propitiation means. That's a big theological word. But what it means is when God sent his son Jesus into the world, when he went to a cross, the work of Jesus on that cross shedding his blood, when that that experience of the cross happened, Jesus said it is finished. And by virtue of God punishing the sin of every person in Jesus, God made a choice to move his just judgment off of me and put it on Jesus. He turned away his wrath. That's what propitiation means. And you'll find it in a place like 1 John chapter 2. Little children, I write these things to you so that you do not sin. 
But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sin, and not only our sin, but for the sin of the whole world. What John was saying there is that God has done something through the cross by which he has removed our just wrath from us and put it on another. Jesus bore our sin. So if he has done that, then we are righteous in him and judgment is then removed. What Paul was saying is that when you remove the constraints, the external constraints of the law, you actually begin to move that stuff that we hide behind in order that God can begin to see our heart and heal it. And that's what he's after. They have relationship with people. Let's say it this way. You see, if I am not under the law, but if I am under grace, and that is what the Scripture then teaches, then you have probably heard people, as I have, who have said something like this. Since I've come into an understanding of this, how big the grace of God is, I find that I'm becoming a little more slack in, in, well, things like tithing. Or I become a little bit looser in my prayer, in my praying. I, I'm not as uptight about attendance all the time because I'm under grace, not under the external constraints of the law. And in fact, I've become just a little bit morally lax. And see, that's what Paul was being accused of. If you remove the external constraints of the law and give a person the option of just walking under the grace of God, won't it really cause them to become loose living? And Paul said, heaven forbid. That is not what happened. In fact, God's grace doesn't cause sin. The grace of God always reveals what's been there all along. Hello? So if you have a person, for example, who, who believes, I have to just you know, tithe every jot and tittle. I, I have to um, be at church every time the doors open. Um, I, I have to, you know, and they're doing it because of the external constraints. What God is, is helping us to see through the Apostle Paul is when you take those constraints away, it actually reveals what's been in the heart all the time. What I really don't like, I don't like giving my money to God. I don't like praying the way God wants me to pray. I don't like uh, uh, attending church. I, I want to live my own life the way I want to live it. And therefore, I can become a little bit morally lax. So has grace created that within the heart of man? No. Removing the external constraints causes us to see it for the very first time. It's the grace of God that begins to bring us into the possibility of relationship with a father who loves us and who accepts us and who forgives us just the way we are. Grace, when properly understood, is absolutely irresistible and it releases us from the power of sin. Grace is amazing. Well, hence the song. <laughs> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved what? A wretch like me, because I once was lost. But now I'm found. I was blind and could not see, but the grace of God has entered into my life, and I've begun by the grace of God to see my own heart, and I recognize that God loves me anyway. And it's life transformational, beloved. So when we believe we're righteous and that the judgment has been removed, it actually reveals what is in the heart so that we can come to Papa and have no fear of being rejected. The third thing I want to share as we move toward 
the communion table is what is this thing of called repentance? Repentance comes from the Greek word. You've probably heard it and know it. It's metanoia. And it means, it means to change the mind. Now, beloved, I have preached for years that to repent of something is to change my mind about something. And that is accurate. But what I didn't realize until the last couple of years is that repentance deals uh, with what you start believing, not just what you stop doing. Hello? Is that new for anybody? You see, metanoia isn't just changing your mind about, well, I used to cuss. That's probably not a good thing to do. I think I'll repent and turn from my, my, uh, my foolish mouth, for example. But see, before I can actually do that, I need to understand something about why I would even do it. I gotta believe something. So, this notion of repentance then is, is dealing with what we start believing first before we actually stop doing anything. And the church, because of, well, classically trained pastors. I told somebody in the first service, the good news is that I have been classically trained in a very quality and high, highly, uh, esteemed seminary. But the bad news is I've been classically trained. If you see what I'm saying. See, the good news and the bad news is, is mixed here. I've been classically trained to see a thing a certain way, but because I've I've been classically trained. It's hard for me to see beyond my training until the Spirit of God begins to enter in and show Himself in a strong way. So repentance isn't just stop doing all of these bad things that God doesn't want you to, to uh, participate in because He's mean. No, repentance means to change your mind and start believing certain things and that will create the change in our, in our uh, doing. You see, if I'm only sorry for doing, um, if I'm only sorry for my doing certain things, I'll always revert back to that doing in times of stress and pain. See, if I'm only sorry for, well, I'm sorry, well, I got caught. Or I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I can't do that because, you know, man, that's obviously bad and, and God's not going to love me if I... See, that's fear of judgment. And, well, I, I can't do that anymore because um, what would people think? So you're in a performance mode. And if I'm, what I'm saying here is if I'm only sorry for the things that I do under certain circumstances in my life, when I'm hungry, when I'm tired, when I'm under pressure, or when I'm under stress, guess what I revert back to? That which gives me comfort. I cover my pain by my doing, and I always go back for it, to it. That's why... Most of our Christian experiences, we take one or two steps forward for a while. We're victorious. Thank you, Jesus. And after a while, one or two steps backwards. One step forward, half a step backwards. Simon says one. No, go. Whoop. You see, that's our Christian life. And it's inconsistent because we haven't understood the grace of God. We're actually in function living under the law. Now, when you change your believing, your doing begins to change effortlessly. That's what I've been discovering. When you change what you really believe, then see, that's real repentance. And my change, the change just begins to happen effortlessly in my life. Now, let me give you about four different ways in which 
I'm, I'm challenging us to begin to rethink repentance. Here's the first one. Repentance, start believing that the work of Jesus is finished and sufficient. Because you're never going to be good enough, honey. That doesn't mean you just does sin because I'll never be good. No, it means recognize it's not about you. It's about the work of Jesus. See, so we repent by believing that the work of Jesus is first finished and sufficient for every need that I ever have, not only in my past, but in the present and also in the future. So God, by his word, challenges us to believe that he is sufficient and the work is finished for us. And secondly, start believing that you're righteous in Jesus. Do you know, I actually had a hard time saying this for a while. I am. See, because what I really believed is that I was a sinner. Why do I believe that? Because I identify with my failures more than I identify with what Jesus did for me. Hello? And so do some of you. You see, because every time I fail, I go, see, I knew it. I'm a sinner. Instead of looking at what God has already declared that is true about me. So when he says it's by faith that you'll be righteous, the just shall live by faith. The gospel. See, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So this this thing of believing that you were righteous needs to become part of who we are in our heart so that I begin to say it every day. I start my day out by saying, God, I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. And because of it, I am righteous before you. Does that sound kind of egotistical? But it's not about me. It's about him. And I would challenge some of you to begin to say what is true. Say it not only aloud, but say it quite often. Because if you don't believe that you are actually righteous, you will hamstring the grace of God from working in your life. We're going to see that here in just a minute. If you don't believe that you are righteous, you'll limit God's ability. And that's what the grace of God is. You see, the grace of God isn't just unmerited favor. Uh, even, uh, what's that Bible that, um, that expands everything? Thank you. Took a mental dip. The Amplified Bible, if you read the Amplified Bible, every place the word grace is there, it's often translated unmerited favor. And we get it. The grace of God is unmerited favor. But guess what? That's only half of the truth. The grace of God is actually the power and the willingness of God. It's the ability of God. So what this verse is saying in 1 John uh, 3, 2, it says this. Now you are the sons and daughters of God. Sons of God. Now you're the sons of God. What's that mean? That means right now you have relationship with Jesus and God is looking at you as a son or a daughter. Let's read on. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. Now, see what that is saying is that right now you're a son of God. But it does not yet appear what you shall be. In other words, you're a son, you have relationship, but you're still weak. We still fail. We still stumble. And we must stop identifying with the, it does not yet appear what you shall be, and start identifying with, I'm a son. You see, it's a matter of focus. It's a matter of perspective. Will I look at my glass? It really is half empty. Or am I going to believe God? No, I'm filled. 
I am righteous. Judgment has passed because of the gospel of Christ. Romans 5.21 says this, As sin reigned in death, we looked at that last week, you know, the, the, um, Moses uh, and the Adam and sin and judgment and condemnation and death from Romans chapter 5. We contrasted that to the work of Jesus. As sin reigned through death, grace reigns through righteousness. Think about that for a minute. The ability of God... The power of God in your life can only reign in your recognition that you are now righteous. Grace reigns through righteousness. And when a person comes into the revelation of the recognition that they are righteous before God because of what Jesus did for them, the grace of God is now released in their life to live differently. But because we don't believe, see, that's where we started. We, what we believe is what we actually do. And if we believe that we're unrighteous, we, we limit the grace of God and the ability of God in our lives. Therefore, we have to repent and start believing the truth, not only about God and His work in Jesus is sufficient and it is finished, and not only uh, are we righteous now in Jesus, but we got to start believing the truth about sin. And when I saw this, I went, oh, no wonder. Now... It is true that there is pleasure, sin is pleasurable, but only for a season. But what do we believe about sin? What we believe is sin is pleasurable. And because we believe that, every time we go forward and then get in a place of stress or difficulty, we revert back to what is pleasurable. See, we cover our pain. And I think that's one of the roots of of addiction. But actually, sin is always destructive and it always causes pain. Always. You see, but because we don't believe that, what we live out of is sin is pleasurable. Making sense to anybody? Understand what I'm saying? Now, if we believe that sin is pleasurable, a pleasurable thing that God withholds from us, we will always revert back to it in times of stress, pressure, and pain. God... He's got all this pleasurable stuff and he's just, he's mean. And he just doesn't want me to enjoy my life. And I might go, okay, I'm going to live my life a certain way now, but under stress and under pain and under difficulty, and every one of us get into it, what we revert back to is what we believe about sin. We believe it's pleasurable. I think this is one of the roots of addiction, having been there. You see, it's what I have believed about God what I believed about me and what I believed about what he has said about me. Then start believing, finally, that sin has no dominion or power over you. Now, the text is Romans six fourteen. Remember, I'm challenging us to believe the gospel. And part of what the gospel says in Romans 6 is that sin shall have no dominion over you. And why am I always fighting against it? Because I'm really functioning under the law and my own performance and my own strength. Uh, but because you're not under the law but under grace, you see, God's external restraint has been removed uh, so that God's power and His favor and His ability can now begin to come through your life. So instead of fighting against my flesh, I've stopped fighting against my flesh. It's always going to put me down. It's always going to raise its ugly head. It's always going to get me in trouble. My soul man stinks. But guess what? Jesus loves me. 
This I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. And I've begun to develop the audacity to believe God rather than believe my flesh. Now, here's what the devil does. I didn't share this first service, but this is what he does. He comes in and he begins to speak to us and he says, well, you know, you're really under grace and, and God's going to forgive you anyway. So you just go ahead and do this thing. Anybody heard that one besides me? Come on. Yeah, I saw a couple of nods. Somebody's honest in here. Come on. You know, you're under grace. It's okay. God's going to forgive you. And pretty, you go, you're in stress and you're in pain and you, boom. And then he comes and he says, you are the rottenest, sorriest. Isn't that what he does, Mitch? See, he, see, he, he, he tells you, man, God's going to forgive you. And then you step out and you disobey and you do that thing, whatever it is. You're, you're short with your worker or your wife or husband or whatever. You're obnoxious. And, and, and then the enemy comes and he accuses you right to your face. You're a miserable. You're a filthy. You're a, you see, that's what he does. He's good at it. You see, but this, the grace of God, comes into our life when the external restraints are removed. And that's so God can actually see my heart. So as we come into agreement with what God says, see, that's believing agreement with the truth. We begin to walk in greater victory in our life. Let me summarize. The work of Jesus is finished and it is sufficient for you. Finished and sufficient. Number two, we are in Jesus righteous. Can you say that word? Righteous. Righteous. You might have a hard time with that like I do. Righteous. Come on, just say it. Righteous. In Jesus, I'm righteous. Not in my flesh. In Jesus, I am righteous. And see, the number three, sin is destructive and painful. That's what I must believe. That's where I must repent. That I, Jesus' work is finished and is sufficient. That, that I am now righteous. Sin is destructive and painful. And sin has no more dominion over me. Because I'm not under law. I'm under grace. Closing with this, Hebrews 4, 16 says this. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace so that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Well, I wish these doors here opened inward, but they don't. They open outward. But can you visualize somebody coming to those doors and just hitting them at a full run? I'd say that was bold. See, God says we are to come boldly, that is, with confidence to the throne of grace. Now, if you believe you are unrighteous because of your behavior, if you believe you deserve the judgment of God because of your performance, guess what? You will never come boldly. When you sin, when you mess up, you will slink back and try to get out of the presence of God. Beloved, that's a picture of where the church is. Because by and large, many people are living under the external pressures of trying to measure up by keeping the law. And by the law comes the knowledge of sin. And when you're walking in sin, you're in a cycle of guilt and shame and self-performance. 
And you get deeper and deeper and deeper until finally somebody says, why don't you believe Jesus? Jesus paid it all. All to him now I owe. We sin has left us crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So we come boldly to the throne of grace in order to obtain mercy. When you mess up, you need the mercy of God. And you always get the mercy of God. How many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Once or twice? No, seven times. No, 70 times seven, Jesus said. Why did he say that? Do you think God's different than what he requires of us? That's the way God is. His nature is to love and to forgive and to accept. And when we come, he doesn't give us what we deserve. That's his mercy. But let us also find grace his empowerment, and his ability to help you in your time of need. Beloved, we need to learn how to come boldly. Martin Luther said something. I was having coffee with somebody yesterday. He said, I think everybody should sin grievously once a year. I'm glad he said it and I didn't say it. But what he was saying is that you will never understand how big the grace of God is until you are in touch with what is in your heart. Not because you fear God and can't measure up, but because all of the constraint is now removed and the grace of God is showing you who you really are. And in spite of who you really are, this is your absolute declaration. I believe God, that he loves me, that he forgives me, that he accepts me just as I am without one plea. Because his blood was shed for me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us but a small glimpse of how big your amazing grace is toward each one of us. God, we've seen it, we've glimpsed it, and often we don't fully understand. And yet, on one occasion, the night before you were betrayed, you took bread and broke it. And you said to your disciples, this is my body which is given for you. As often as you eat this bread, do so in remembrance of me. You likewise took the cup and you poured it out and you said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. New covenant, better covenant. If you thought glory was in the old covenant, the glory of the new covenant surpasses it, surpasses it immensely. As often as you drink this cup, you proclaim my death until you come. Father, I ask right now that you would take these common elements, this bread and this cup, that you would set them apart so that we might remember Jesus afresh, that his sacrifice was final and was sufficient. And because of what he did, I am now righteous forgiven and accepted in him. God, we see that sin is destructive. And without your power, we'll go back to it again and again. But Lord, thank you that you said sin shall not have dominion over you because you're under grace. Would you impart the grace of God afresh as we take this bread and drink this cup that we might rise up and believe you let every man be a liar, including myself. But God, you are always true. Bless these elements. 
May we touch the very hem of Jesus this morning, in whose name we pray. Amen. Elders, would you come?
so that it might be well with our soul. Let's eat remembrance of him.
catch the line, let go my soul and trust in him. Your soul trick you every time, beloved. You need to just let go and trust in Jesus. Do this as a representation of trusting him. Let's drink together, remembering his death. We ask our elders if they'd be so kind as to join us up here for prayer. Would you stand and we'll be dismissed. Thank you for your patience. And maybe you're here today and have never really considered the claims of the good news and you're trying real hard. I just want to invite you to trust Jesus fully. Maybe you're here and you've never really given your life to Jesus and God's been speaking to you now over some time. The invitation is just come on home. God loves you just the way you are. He forgives you. He accepts you. And he's made provision for everything that you're beating yourself up for through the cross of Jesus. And now may the great love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, May the very presence of his spirit infuse and fill every fiber of our life that we might live our lives only for the praise of his glory. And all of God's people said together, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day today in him. If you'd like special prayer, please come. We'll linger with you. Give somebody a hug on the way out. Tell them how precious they are to Jesus.